Welcome to So Now What, a bi-weekly podcast of the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio. Join hosts Michelle Patnode, W3MVP, and Joe Karsha, NJ1Q, as they offer information, support, and encouragement for those starting their journey into the world of amateur radio. So Now What is brought to you by LDG Electronics. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art automatic antenna tuners and related products for every amateur need. Check them out at ldgelectronics.com. Asking questions. That's how you get the advice and insight you need to go from a new license holder to ham radio veteran. And the first question is, so now what? Hey, podcast listeners. I'm Michelle Patno, W3MVP. Thanks for joining us for So Now What? a podcast for people who are relatively new to amateur radio and who are excited and curious to discover all that it has to offer. And here with me is co-host Joe Karsha, NJ1Q. And we also have Andy Maluzzi, KK4LWR. He's the current president of DEERS, the Disney Emergency Amateur Radio Service with call sign WD4WDW. He's also the past president of the Gator Amateur Radio Club at the University of Florida with call sign W4DFU. Go Gators! You may have also heard him on a past episode of So Now What? Highlights from Hamvention. Uh, spark gap transmissions. That is the way to go. That is real radio. To listen to Spark, that is the way to communicate. Spark forever. Oh, look! We now have continuous wave. We're now able to send... CW tones, and it's clean, and it's more band efficient, and there's less harmonics. CW, you know what that is, amateur radio. That's what we use to communicate. Oh, look, we're now using voice. We're now using amplitude modulation to communicate back and forth with each other. We can now have longer conversations because we don't have to worry about sending all this stuff in Morse code. Amplitude modulation AM, that is the new wave of amateur radio. Hey, we now have single sideband. This is so cool. We're operating on one side or the other of our carrier. It's more band efficient. This is the way to go. This is amateur radio. But now we have digital modes. Digital modes let's be very efficient and try all sorts of new ways to communicate from simple signals to complicated text messages back and forth. This is now really amateur radio. And that brings us to what this episode is all about. You're not just a tech. So Joe just walked us through a little bit of history with ham radio. And as you can see, technology, it evolves. And the more it evolves, the more it keeps ham radio alive. Exactly, Michelle. If it doesn't evolve, if it doesn't change, if it doesn't keep up with the technology, like anything else, it's just going to go the way of the dinosaur. So for the individuals out there that feel that, well, they're starting off new. They're starting off as a technician. They may be thinking to themselves, well, like the title of this podcast, I'm just a technician. And it's not that you're just a technician. You are a licensed amateur radio operator. And you should be proud of that accomplishment. Like everyone else before you, like everyone else with you, your contemporaries, and like everyone else after you, you all have to start off at some beginning. For amateur radio, it's beginning with Spark, and it has progressed into now digital. The same thing with your license. The technician is the starting license class, but that does not negate your ability to be an amateur radio operator. 
And like everything else, if you wish to move on, that is cool. So some background on myself. I was first licensed in uh, 2012. Um, really, my brother, Tony, KD8RTT, uh, pushed me to get my license after uh, I kind of got a little first-hand taste of amateur radio driving down to Florida from Ohio. Uh, he talked to someone in a fire tower in Georgia for a good 15 miles or so, and that's what sort of got me into the hobby. Um, but I started off pretty much as a newbie like anyone else. Um, my brother, Tony, was back in Ohio by the time I got my ticket. Um, I was fortunate, uh, being an electrical engineer, that I tested the general directly, but I really didn't know anything. And I remember my first contact with my brother um, was actually over Echolink. He remoted, he connected over um, to the club's local repeater, and I'm on the phone with him uh, at the same time as uh, I'm just trying to get, you know, uh, my handy talkie just to connect. Um, and that was my first sort of, you know, experience, and he sort of walked me through that in terms of what the etiquette was and what to say. And, you know, when I actually made that contact, it was really cool. And that was where I started in the hobby. Um, I joined the Gator Amateur Radio Club um, at UF. I did this as a graduate student at UF um, and uh, really got involved there. Um, I knew nothing when I started about amateur radio. I mean, I knew the concepts, you know, of radio from my background in engineering, um, but I had never been on the air. It was something really completely alien to me. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people uh, get into the hobby and assume that, like, you need to be an expert overnight. And, I mean, I had an engineering degree, um, and I was by far not an expert overnight. Um, and uh, I got very lucky that we had a good active club. Um, and we did a lot of activities, and that's really what got me uh, interested in the hobby and stuck around. Um, and I learned how to DX. I learned how to contest and all that um, through, you know, association. And... Uh, that that really helped sort of formulate my, you know, amateur radio hobby for myself. Um, but now I've sort of been on the flip side of that. Um, one of the things that our club did, and I ultimately became president of the Gator Amateur Radio Club, uh, was we would host uh, technician classes where we would, you know, in a day or so, uh, review all the technician questions and then actually host a testing uh, testing session, ARL testing session there, um, to actually get folks licensed. Uh, and we tried to make it not just the teach to the test. We tried to get folks on the air, um, and we immediately followed the test up the following Thursday with the station tour, our regular sort of meeting nights, um, to sort of lower that barrier to entry. And that was usually a fun night. We, uh, there was a, we were on the 11th floor of the uh, dental building at the University of Florida with our antennas on top, and there was a Wendy's in the basement. So we'd always go down to Wendy's, get some Frosties, and that night especially, you know, and sort of get everyone on the air um, and sort of make it more social than anything else to start it off. Um, and that's what got me hooked. And it's been sort of a, a ride ever since. Now, Andy, how would you summarize your club in terms of mentoring the new hams even after the fact? Or, or if you have someone who may already be licensed and they came to the club saying, I want to be a member of this club, but I'm relatively new, how would you categorize the the, the mentorship and what would you do after the fact? Because that's one of the issues we have that a number of hams will contact us and say, I re I want to do stuff in amateur radio. My club helped me get my license and that's it. Um, I need better mentorship. Mentorship is probably the, uh, 
the biggest problem in amateur radio. Um, not the fact that we don't have a lot of folks that would be great mentors and not the problem that, you know, there's, uh, you know, no one willing to do it. Um, it, it really comes down to that introduction. Um, for me personally, when I started at UF, um, I was very lucky to meet a gentleman, uh, Jake Artlitz, AA4FL. Um, and he sort of took me under his wings and, uh, you know, he invited me over to check out his shack at his place. Uh, he was at every club meeting. Um, and, you know, he was just a very good hands-on faculty advisor. Um, and that made a world of difference. You know, as I've gotten older, though, and sort of moved into the leadership side, uh, it sort of has to happen in two different ways. Um, an officer of a club has a really unique opportunity to be a general mentor to everyone. Um, and what does that mean? That means uh, when you plan meeting content, um, so like my role now with Disney um, in the Disney Emergency Amateur Radio Service, uh, we plan a couple months out what our meetings are going to be, be it antenna building. Um, we actually just did that this past month. Um, or if we're going to have a speaker come talk, we actually have some folks from the Orlando Club coming uh, this next month to talk about setting up WinLink um, over VHF uh, to use some of the local infrastructure. Um, these are things that I am also not 100% an expert in. I, I do like to do antenna building, um, so I sort of led that, but I've never actually used WinLink. I'm very much a novice at that myself, um, even having been licensed now for, you know, seven years. Um, so I try to, you know, curate that content to be educational and interesting to everyone um, for what our club does. And that trickles down not just to, you know, what we do in our meetings, but also how the club interacts. Um, so one of the things we've done this year with our club to sort of really help mentorship and just help club communication is we've moved away from the traditional email reminders of upcoming meetings. Uh, one of the things I keep hearing folks say is, you know, the amateur radio clubs are dying, they're getting old, the hobby's old, yeah, yeah. We have a whole bunch of really young folks um, in this hobby uh, and we communicate differently. Uh, us millennials, you know, we communicate uh, very differently. I give Michelle a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of a hard time there about Pinterest and Twitter and all that. But um, you know, the simple fact is, we do you know do that. We like social media. We like real time communication. So we at Deers actually started using Slack. Um, if you're not familiar with Slack, is it's sort of like a chat room esque uh, you know app that's common in a lot of like tech companies and that sort of thing. Um, and what that's done is that's allowed us as a club to start having these conversations with new folks right away. So you can go to the first meeting and get on our Slack, uh, and once you're in there, um, you can ask questions. We have a whole bunch of different channels. Some they're talking about um, our repeaters, you know, and we have a lot of people just asking questions. How can I get my DMR repeater, or how can I get my DMR uh, handheld to connect to the repeater? How can I get Echolink working? Um, and club members are able to directly sort of help people or, hey, there, is the repeater down for anyone else? Um, and then we also have, uh, you know, another Slack channel that's all about our communication van and upcoming projects with that. Um, or we have a general Slack channel where people just ask whatever, um, you know, radio related. Uh, so it, that sort of starts mentoring a little bit more in the 21st century um, for our club, and especially because as Disney, we have a huge range of cast members that join our club and guests, um, ranging from, you know, young folks that are, you know, in their 20s, all the way up to folks who are retired and work for Disney or live in the area for fun. Um, so that really offers a cool opportunity to get everyone engaged and on the air. So if you have a newly licensed amateur radio up, and, and it, clearly it sounds this, and it's, I wouldn't say that 
Well, Deers is an exception because, as we rightly pointed out, there are many clubs out there that welcome new amateur radio operators. They welcome them because they understand that these new hams are the future of amateur radio, that they have to keep amateur radio alive, and we have to do that by bringing new blood. So it sounds like when you have a new ham coming in, that Amateur radio operator, that new ham shouldn't feel that I'm just a technician. And we're going to keep saying that because we want to in, you know, push the idea that you're not just a technician, but that they come in thinking, I'm just a technician. But you know what? This club, as with other clubs, are more than willing to bend over backwards to help me to improve my experience in amateur radio, to improve my operating skills. And they welcome me not as a technician, but they they welcome me as a licensed amateur radio operator. And hams out there that, that are looking for that, that's what they need to look for. They they need to look for the clubs that, that welcome newly licensed hams. And no ham knows everything. No. You know, I'm very lucky that I have a background in engineering and that I've really sort of gotten engaged in this hobby over the last seven years. But I've never connected to Winlink. You know, that is something completely new and alien to me, and I'm going to learn about it at this upcoming club meeting. Um, you know, and I think that that's something that, you know, a lot of folks need to just, you know, accept and be part of is, you know, you're never going to know everything about it. The hobby changes way too fast. Um, but that's part of the fun, too. And just, you know, being the new guy, saying, you know, I'm just a tech or I'm the new guy, uh, is almost more of a badge of honor. Cause that says, I'm here to learn. And now a word from our sponsor. Check out LDG's new Balans and Ununs. The RU9-to-1 Unun matches in-fed longwire antennas to coax, and the RU1-to-1 choke helps keep RF out of your shack. All LDG Balans and Ununs are rated to 200 watts PEP and cover from 1 to 30 megahertz for all your HF matching needs. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing advanced quality products to the amateur market. Our focus is on anticipating our customers' needs and providing them with world-class support. Don't forget, LDG products carry a two-year warranty that is fully transferable when you sell it. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. LDG Electronics. Everywhere you look, there's an LDG. Welcome back to So Now What? So Morse code or CW used to be required on your ham radio license test. We don't require it anymore, but we really do encourage that you still learn it. Andy, what are your thoughts on this and when did you learn Morse code? So I think Morse code is another exciting aspect to the hobby, but it's not something that you have to know. Like modern technology, uh, you probably aren't going to need to use Morse code. Um, but it's a really cool and interesting history and way to communicate. Um, personally, I didn't do Morse code for the first five and a half years that I was licensed. I did not do my Morse code until uh, actually last year when I took uh, the CW Academy, uh, their you know class um, from the uh, CW Ops. They have a CW Academy um, that meets for like you know six eight weeks, um, maybe even more. Um, regularly, and you work through the different uh, characters. And that's how I learned Morse code, and I'm still not all that great on it. I can maybe do eight to ten words a minute, um, but I don't use it often. Um, 
you know, for a lot of folks, it's been like a rite of passage or, you know, for so long it was required to upgrade your license. Um, but now things are different. Um, you know, I'm on FT8 a lot. Uh, I work satellites a lot. Um, so, you know, it, I'm mostly like FM, single sideband or FT8, uh, maybe some PSK31 if I'm feeling particularly retro. Um, and those are all relatively <laughs> modern things. Well, well newer than Morse code. Um, and what so, I mean, it, 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 it's like another aspect of the hobby. Some folks really get into antenna building. Some folks really get into DXing. Some folks really get into Morse code. And that's really cool. And one of the reasons for that and why Michelle would ask is because we have, we have heard this, not from a lot of people, just from a few. But unfortunately, there's still this mindset out there that new hams whether they be new techs, new generals, or even new extras. I mean, we actually have some folks out there that are, that are going right up the line in one test session. They're, they're, they're taking tech general and they're coming out as extra. That there is still this tiny perception out there that unless this new ham, regardless of license class, if they don't know Morse code well, you know, that, that's, does not make a true amateur radio operator. And, that is wrong because CW is a mode. It's just another mode. It may be a quote-unquote digital mode, but it's a mode nonetheless. And we don't test on sideband usage. We don't test on anything else, any other mode usage. So for that, for the folks out there that have this perception, and unfortunately, if they pass that perception on to the newer hams that, well, you don't know Morse code, so that really doesn't necessarily make you a ham. Well, that's, that's not correct. In fact, we, Michelle and I have talked about this a lot and that the new hams coming in, they may not need to know Morse code, but these new hams are coming in with information and knowledge about Arduino use, Raspberry Pi use, digital use. They know programming. They know how to ad adopt and adapt their smart devices into amateur radio. We have a lot of smart people coming in that we need that expertise to keep amateur radio alive. And if they're coming in as a technician without Morse code, that's still cool because they're bringing something new into amateur radio. So I, I don't think that, you know, uh, Morse code is one of those things that you have to pass along as a rite of passage because I think in the hobby, it's always going to change. You know, amateur radio is a, you know, a license to learn. When you get your ticket, regardless of what it is, that's a license to learn and you're, you're on sort of this technology evolution. And while Morse code has been popular for a century and has been sort of a foundational way of communication, you know, things are moving. And just because you don't know how it was doesn't necessarily mean that you can't help define where it's going. And that's um, not to denigrate but, Morse code either. It's just that it's it's another no. mode. It, that's exactly correct. There's so many fundamentals that are based in that Morse code. As you said, it's like the it's the OG digital uh, mode, you know, but uh, it's it's a great way to communicate as well. It's a lot of fun. A lot of folks know it, um, you know, but it's not something that's essential right now. And I think that's really cool. Um, 
It also makes it a lot more fun that when you master it, you aren't mastering it because you have to. You're mastering it because you're genuinely interested. And that makes the contacts more and more exciting. And we're seeing that. It's it's almost like a, a reverse psychology thing. Now that a lot of hams don't need it as a requirement, they want to learn it. At WNAW, and as Michelle knows, I will always plug WNAW, we have... <laughs> He is the station manager. I am the station manager, and I love the station. As people know, I love the station. We still have our CW transmissions. We provide Morse code practice files free for download online. And these files are used by a lot of people because they now want to learn it. They know that it's yet another mode. It doesn't make them a better ham over their fellow amateur operator, but they just have uh, another tool in their toolbox. And it's one of those things where if you haven't mastered that tool yourself, you can still participate using some modern software. You can have software that decodes it for you as you learn it to sort of help you go along. Uh, most of the contacts that I do with Morse code, probably me sending it, but I'm certainly having a computer also help me decode it um, just for practice, you know, and occasionally I'll miss a word or a letter. And it's really, really helpful to be like, oh, that was, you know, the you know, sorry, that wasn't an at, you know, or something like that when I try uh, to copy code. Um, and that's cool, too, you know, and using technology in different ways to support it because um, it's something that I just want to do. It's not something I had to do. Um, and that makes it more fun. You know, it's always more fun when you do what you want to do instead of what your parents told you you have to do. Yes. So, Andy, you have your amateur extra license but you're always participating in various projects and contests. Do you specifically need your extra license to do all of these things, such as satellite contacts or communication, FT8? I actually don't use my privileges as an extra very often. Um, I'm a millennial. I live in an apartment. Um, I don't have an HF rig at home, so it's pretty rare for me to get on HF. If I get on HF, it's usually me out hiking and working portable. But what I've done... More so recently, um, is I get on the air uh, doing satellite contacts. Both me and my brother, uh, we both AMSAT members, and we both get on the air um, working satellites. And those are usually UHF and VHF. Um, so I actually have a couple of FT817s, and that's my satellite setup. Um, you know, I had many a new ham uh, come by with various levels of license, you know, get on the air with satellites. And it's always fun to tell them, you know, you aren't using a general or extra. This is something that you can do with a technician license. You are only using those permissions for this particular hobby um, or this particular aspect of the hobby. You know, and they're like, really? And I was like, yeah, look at my phone on how many satellites are coming over today. I have an app that tracks it. And it, I've had days where I've stood in one place and worked, you know, a dozen satellites over the course of a couple hours, just going one to another to another. Um, so there's plenty of opportunity to be on the air. I also love to experiment. Um, you know, that, that's one of the aspects of the hobby that I love. I love to build antennas, uh, and that sort of thing. I don't really like building big antennas. Again, I live in an apartment. It's sort of logistically a little difficult. Um, it's also a lot of work. There's a lot of walking involved, um, versus, you know, building, uh, you know, even microwave antennas. Uh, again, something that is accessible to every amateur radio license class, including technicians, um, is, you know, building stuff for VHF and up. And even HF, you can get on HF with a technician's license. Uh, you can get on 10 meters. 
Um, you can get on 40 meters. Um, so you can still build those antennas and experiment uh, in that range too. Um, so I would say with the exception of maybe, you know, a half dozen times a year, I don't actually use anything more than a technician-level permission. And the the newly licensed ham, whether it be a technician or a general, but we're going to focus on the technician because that was the whole point of this, that you're not just a technician, is that as a new ham, as a new technician coming in, you can know things and do things that the older amateur radio population may not know. And that if they're coming into a club or they're coming into a situation where they think, gosh, I'm, I'm the newbie here. Uh, I really should keep my mouth shut and I should just listen. Well, don't be afraid to talk about your strengths. If you're like with, like with you, Andy, if you're out there making satellite contacts using either a, a dual band HT, which you can do with some of these, uh, HTs that receive, say, both on two and 30 centimeters, or going out with, say, an FT817 or one of the other radios that allows for VHF and UHF up and down, where you're making satellite contacts with a portable antenna like an Arrow or an Elk or a homebrew antenna, you are doing amateur radio. You're having fun in amateur radio. And you should never look at it as, well, I'm just a technician. I, I shouldn't be doing this. No, you should be doing this as a technician. You should be getting out there and having fun with an amateur radio. And you can still earn awards, even. You know, a lot of folks say, oh, you need to have DXCC or Worked All State or VUCC. Those are all awards that you can still do over satellite. You know, um, it, it's my brother actually just got his VUCC working satellite. Um Nothing says that, you know, uh, these sorts of things are limited to just those folks on HF with a kilowatt and a tower at 200 feet. You know, this is stuff that is accessible to every ham, uh, regardless of your license class. Exactly. And what a thrill it would be as a newly licensed ham. And if you're looking about yourself and saying, I'm just a technician. No, not just a technician. You're a licensed amateur trader operator. I will always, always push that because, again, I've heard this at W1AW. You walk in and they say, well, what have you done in amateur radio? Well, I earned my VUCC on satellite using a dual band transceiver. And I'm proud of that because I played amateur radio and I had fun. Having fun is the number one part of the hobby. Um, I always joke that I have sort of five rules of projects. Um, and I'll give you a hint. Safety is not number one. Number one is always to have fun. Because uh, if it's not fun, it's not worth doing. Um, and uh, safety is actually fit. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're not having fun, why are we here? Uh, it's the only thing in life that is limiting. You can, in theory, have as much money as you want, but time is something that is limited. Um, so you got to have fun. So it doesn't matter, you know, if you have the world at your fingertips, you know, with the latest flex radio or if you're sort of making do with even one of those little uh, QRP kits that you can get off eBay. Um, you know, if you are having fun with whatever hardware you have and getting on the air however you can, uh, that's what's really important at the end of the day. And take pride. Say, Is that a good way to put it, Michelle? Take pride in being 
a licensed radio operator, even if you're starting off as a technician. And and by the way, I should point out that that is definitely not to negate any of the novices. There are still some novices still licensed. The novice class license didn't go away. It's just no longer being issued. But a novice operator can renew his or her license every 10 years if they wish to maintain being a novice. And that's cool, too. As long as they're having fun in amateur radio, it shouldn't matter their class of license. It's what they're putting into it. So one of the most awesome things about you know being the president of a club is getting to welcome all those new folks into the hobby. And I encourage everyone else out there to uh, walk up to someone you don't recognize at your club meeting. Maybe they're new. Maybe they've been sitting in the back and they're quiet. Shake their hand, introduce themselves, and thank them for being an amateur radio operator. And help them you know, to get involved because there's so much cool stuff to learn. Uh, and just that friendly handshake is a great way to empower them and let them know that they're welcome, they belong, and that this is a hobby for them to learn. And that they can bring in something as well. Everyone should always be open to learning something new, especially with an amateur radio. And learning is probably the best part of the hobby because this, this hobby is not going to be the same. What we're doing today in 2019, it's not going to be anywhere near what we're going to be doing in 2029 or even in 2099. It's going to be a completely different hobby, and that's what's really exciting. That's what's really awesome. Yeah. And do you know why? Because everything is awesome. And you know, Andy, you're absolutely right. Thanks so much for being on. So now, so now what? what? It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. 73. As always, if you have a question and want a chance of it being answered on the show, send an email to so now what at ARRL.org or go to our webpage, www.ARRL.org forward slash so now what and submit your question under the so now what listener form. Don't forget to also rate and review So Now What on whatever platform you're listening to us on. We love getting your questions, feedback, and suggestions. Until next time on So Now What. So Now What is a production of the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, and is sponsored by LDG Electronics. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art automatic antenna tuners and related products for every amateur need. Check them out at ldgelectronics.com. For more information on Amateur Radio or the ARRL, visit us on the web at www.arrl.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for ARRL. If you have a question or comment for Joe or Michelle, email us at sonowwhat at arrl.org or use the form on our website, www.arrl.org forward slash sonowwhat. This program is copyright of the ARRL, and any unauthorized redistribution or rebroadcast is prohibited. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to So Now What at Blueberry.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sabrina Jackson, KC1JMW, Administrative Manager of Radio Sport at the ARRL. Thanks for listening. <laughs>